Hello, and welcome back to the Butler Sports Affair, the show with all the athletics you can handle. I'm your host, Ethan Pollock, and today I'll be joined later by my rotating panel of Jake Kaufman and James Andrews. But first, let's run down some of the headlines and topics for today's show. To start off, we will preview the upcoming Butler softball season as the team looks to use their experience to run through the Big East. Next up, we will evaluate the rise and fall of the Butler men's basketball team after getting their first AP Top 25 ranked win of the season. Finally, with the Butler baseball season revamping, beat writer for the Butler Collegian Andrew Mild joins me to explain what to expect from this team this season. For our first meal today, we'll begin with the Butler softball team. Okay, so our first segment here today, we're going to be jumping into the women's softball season. As This is the first time we're touching on them as well because uh, their season is starting right around the corner here as they've actually gotten already into, I believe, 11 games this, uh, after playing back-to-back tournaments. The women's softball team has been kind of off to a pretty darn good start as they are 7-4 and four, uh in their record in each of their tournaments so far. And after a season where they went 17-21-1 last year, it's a, a better start, I think, honestly. So this team's got a lot of hopes and dreams for the future. And today, to help discuss that with me, is going to be Jake Kaufman here today, one of our regulars. Jake, how's it going so far? It's going good. I'm honestly glad I get a little bit of a break from women's basketball. I mean, I love the team, but, you know, it's been a rough year. So I'm glad I got to talk about something a little more positive. But, yeah, so I'm excited to be back. Absolutely. So obviously positive. Speaking of that, we got the softball team winning seven of their last four games, like I said, and um, they have been playing very, very well. This team is uh, to, t- to talk about them and kind of intro them. They are one of the older teams. They got a few of great players, including one of the uh, Big East preseason pitcher of the season or pitcher of the year. Uh, by the- she was awarded that by the coaches. And so her name is Carly, uh, Carly Ricketts. She is very, very good at softball. And um, she's already gone off to, when we speak of pitching, she's already gotten off to a red hot start, starting four and one um, in her last five starts, playing very, very well. Um, so this team has got a bright future. Jake, you got more on this? Yes. Oh, I'm adding on to Carly Ricketts. She, like you said, a great start. She was actually named as um, on Monday the Big East Pitcher of the Week. Or the Big East softball pitcher of the week. She, in thir- she had 13 scoreless innings and two starts. Only allowed six total hits. Butler won both of them. I mean, that's just you know, elite production out of a, your star pitcher. And um, after that game, she also moved into seventh all time in strikeouts in Butler history. So that's obviously a pretty good milestone for her. And it's been a good field goal story. I mean, obviously she's been here for a while, but it's she's a hometown kid. And I think that you know, that's a, as a school, that's something we seem to like a lot having those hometown stories. But um, yeah, obviously, so the pitching has been good. But there's some players that batters I want to um, shout out, especially um, Bree Avery has been so far hitting. She's only played in six games. I mean, excuse me, sorry. She's played in 11 games, but um, she's hitting 429 right now and scored six runs already, 12 hits, 12 total bases, getting on base a lot, allowing the other runners to drive them in. Um, Carly Ricketts also, we didn't touch on this, but she's a very good hitter as well. She hit a grand slam in a game earlier this year, so she's a do-it-your-own do it all kind of player for this team. Um, Lauren Faye is another player who's been hitting really well. And t- um, doesn't have any extra base hits yet, but um, is getting on base. Her on base percentage is 459, highest on the team. So they're getting a lot of good, 
they're hitting pretty well so far to start this year, which is a good sign. Obviously, we talked about, I mean, we wouldn't call it a terrible year last year, but we pro- but mediocre is probably a better thing to see it. But um, yeah, I mean, they finished fifth in the in the Big East overall, but um, hitting has definitely been their uh, weaker part of the team. But it's better to see that they're improving on it. I mean, if there's one thing uh, that they are good at, though, I would either talk about is pitching. We mentioned that we obviously Carly Ricketts played last year, earned 2021 All Big East honors last season. Now she's going to be coming into uh, this season even better. But looking back to last season as well, they finished second in the Big East in fielding and fourth in pitching. So this team is a defensive minded team, kind of like their men's basketball team, if I had to say so. Um, But so just to be able to have that lock or lockdown defense that they've been able to have and try and uh, keep it, I uh, keep, keep the games within reach at all, at all times. It's always been really, really helpful for this, uh, for this team. And so, um, but hitting it obviously not been their strong suit last season as well. We mentioned it uh, second to last in the big East, um, including a batting average of uh, 200 two one two pretty much, which not the greatest for a team that's going to be trying to, Reach the top of the biggies in a softball uh, conference that's pretty pretty decent, honestly for for what it's worth. And so they've got a few teams, including UConn, and I believe uh, Mar- Marquette is also up there as well. Um, but between those two teams, uh, I think that this team has got some got some hope for this future. Um, a couple more things I want to add. Um, another pitcher I want to shout out. She still has pretty limited innings, but um, Mac- Mackenzie Grimmin is um so far in sixteen innings is um. Has an ERA of 0.88 and a whip of, if you don't know, for people that don't know what whip is, walks and hits innings pitch. Basically, a general way of saying is how many base runners on average do you allow per inning. That's a pretty good start. She also had a complete game. So she's been off to a very good start, too, as well. I mean, obviously, you know, as good as Carly Ricketts is, you're going to need other pitchers to step up, and she's been good. And you touched on the 212 batting average last year, um, and obviously this is still very early, but it's a very encouraging sign. The team as a whole right now is batting 292, and they're limiting their opponents to batting 211. And so obviously that's a much better improvement. Clearly we're going to have to wait and see if this is a trend that's going to stay after an early thing, but um, it's already off to a much better start. Um. I think the thing that's also been good is that they they haven't hit a ton of home runs, but they're getting a decent amount of extra base hits. They have already 13 doubles on the season, which you know is a pretty good thing. And uh, it's and just seems like they and they've already walked 29 times. So it seems like they're getting on. They're doing a pretty good job of finding ways to get on base, even though they're not entirely slugging homers. Which we're not going to say doesn't happen, but it's a little bit of a different dynamic in softball than we say that. So, but overall. A lot of encouraging signs, and it's going to definitely be a fun team to watch throughout the spring. Absolutely. And now we got uh, another tournament coming right around the corner starting on Friday. Teams headed to Chattanooga, Tennessee to start off and play another five games, uh, including two against Northern uh, Illinois, uh, Eastern Kentucky, Chattanooga, and Southern Illinois. So a bunch bunch of Illinois schools here, as we are from Illinois. Always love to see a few of the teams that are being able to get or to play, but um, lot, lot to expect from this team, especially starting off seven and four. Do you think they can continue to keep this kind of hot streak going? Bef- and I mean, being able to play this many games is really, really great before they start the regular season, which is not until I believe, um, I believe they, their first real game is against Moorhead State on March eighth. So we got a got a little while, but being able to get this much experience is pretty good, especially when they're seven and four and they have such high hopes to start early in the season. You're talking about like their first good. like non tournament game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's um, I think there's this is. At least somewhat sustainable. Are they going to hit 292 the whole year? Probably not. But I think, you know, you can. Carly Ricketts has a 
reputation for years of being a good pitcher. This isn't like a one hot streak. I think that, you know, this team has also got a little bit different. There's been some seniors that graduated. There's some people coming in. So I think it's sustainable that they can be definitely be a better team than they were last year. Um, it's going to be important for, you know, to have a collective team effort. And um, I think that it's obviously, I think we're going to get a better sense of how realistic it is over the, I think this tournament, because I think after one tournament, you know, you can think it's a fluke. Two tournaments, you kind of have a better sense. But after three tournaments and you've played around 15 games, you should have at least somewhat of a sense of what you're working with. So I think it should be really important to watch what we have here and then the thing. But I'm really excited. I mean, I think this is a really big team that more of us are going to end up wanting to tune into. Absolutely. And before we uh, we head out, I got to make sure you get get some names for people to remember as we continue to keep looking forward to this team later in the season. Remember the names. This is our catcher, Gracie Volgaris. She currently leads the team in the batting average with 438. It's pretty early in the season, but that's pretty darn good with her OPS on, pay, on base percentage of over one uh, 1.03, which is very, very good and a great start for the season for her. And then also Bree Avery and Lauren Fay. Uh, and by the way, all these names I've mentioned so far are seniors. And then Kali Ricketts. All four of these ladies have been doing amazing uh, from the hitting side. So being able to have them continue to keep up the great great batting averages and continue to keep getting on base shows some hope for this team as um, this softball team might be able to continue to keep giving us a lot of hope. So um, now we're going to be moving on to our next section um, about the men's basketball team where I'll be joined here later by J- or James Andrews. Alrighty, now on to our next segment here for our podcast. We're going to be jumping into the men's basketball team as holy moly Hinkle Magic has finally struck as Butler got their first ranked of game of the season. Uh, huge, huge game against Marquette. And then, of course, it's been a roller coaster ride and it still has not stopped. And let's just say the games after that have not been as fun. So, Today here, I'm going to be joined by one of my regulars as usual, and he's back once again. James Andrews here to come help me talk about the men's basketball team. James, how's it going so far? Thanks, Ethan. I'm doing pretty well. I think you really summed up this basketball team when you just said it was a roller coaster ride. It's just nothing but ups and downs and twists and turns, but... You know, it hasn't always been the greatest this season, but it really has started to turn around a little bit. And we're competing in just about every game we're playing. And that's pretty much the most important part for me. And so I'm just I'm glad to be along for the ride with you. Absolutely. So going back to what I was saying about the whole ranked win is that is probably our statement win of the season so far. When Marquette came to town, that was number 18 ranked Marquette in the entire nation came to Hinkle and. I think Butler came to play instead. They finally found their opportunity to finally do it, and they hit 13 three-pointers in a game. That is something we have not seen from this team all season long. Uh, Bryce Golden led the team with 22 points, Chuck Harris with 15. This team just looked like they were finally living up to potential, I think. Right, James? Yeah, I mean, they were just uh, getting everywhere on offense. They were getting to their spots where they wanted to be, knocking down open shots, moving the ball, and you just cannot say enough about the work they did on all those Marquette players. Sure, it was a higher scoring game, but it was also a very fast-paced type of game. So when you have that um, a fast-paced type of game, it's still very important to dig deep and to get your stops and also to get rebounds after you do get those stops, and that's probably the biggest thing I noticed from that game. And it was just phenomenal to see us fight 
finally get that win against a ranked team and a very good ranked team at that because, you know, Marquette came in. They were reeling. They had won eight of their last nine games. When they came in to play us, they had just knocked off Villanova twice. They were the best team in the Big East. They looked like they might be primed for a one or two seed. They couldn't handle Hinkle. Yep, and magically, as soon as they came to Hinkle and lost, they are no longer ranked after that game. So I guess you can call it the Butler effect right there. But I think the big thing or the big takeaway from this game was, yes, Butler was able to hold them, but holy moly was a lot closer than it needed to be because Butler at one point led by as many as 21 points in the first half, and yet they gave up 52 points in the second half to Marquette, and they came all the way down to the wire, and we only won by 6, 85 to 79, but still just a great, great game. Everybody was able to step it up and I mean, Bryce Gold went 7-12 from the field, including that he even hit a three-pointer. I mean, everybody was just hitting shots from anywhere. And something that I, we, we, I wish we could have said has continued to keep going on all week, but we'll continue on to the next game. However, before we get to the downfall, we have to talk about the shot of the year from a Butler Bulldog. Simas Lukosius, the bank is open, baby. <laughs> wow. Simas uh, was able to have a career day for the Bulldogs as he ended up finishing with, I believe, 19 points when they went and traveled to Chicago where they won 70 to 73 to 71 uh, with obviously Seamus hitting that game-winning shot to pull him away. What did what? How did you react to that shot when it went in? I mean, I'm pretty sure I just jumped off off my couch and just started running around in circles and just shouting CMOS. I would think I was doing the same thing everybody else was doing. You know, I heard a lot of my, my I'm building where I live actually started to shake a little bit. I think everybody else was doing the same thing. I mean, just what an incredible game for CMOS. Ended it with 19. And the call on the broadcast, too, was just absolutely perfect where he just went, CMOS, have a day. Uh, it was just, it was great to see him have, have that kind of success out there. I know. It's, it was a huge game for some of the younger guys on the team. I mean, Seamoss had 19, Chuck Harris had 18, Jaden Taylor had 12. So our three leading scores, all sophomores or younger. So show some, it showed some real problems. We had our big ranked game, our big, big ranked win against Marquette. And then we just had a huge, huge game from some of our younger talents. And you'd think that it'd continue into the next game uh, when they traveled to Queens, New York to play for a makeup game against St. John's. And <laughs> fortunately, that it d- didn't really go as well, right, James? Yeah, Ethan, we'll just pretend like that game didn't happen and move on. It, it happens, you know, we played St. John's very tough when they came here. And you see it a lot in sports when a, a team that feels like they go on a road and they feel like they should beat the team by a lot more than what they do. Oftentimes when that team goes back to play the, them at the other team's home site, it, it kind of ends up in a, a lopsided game. That's really what happened. St. John's is a very good team. I think me and you have talked about that a lot. They're a very underrated team in the Big East. Not a lot of people had them pegged to make uh, the national tournament like three weeks ago, but I think they've definitely worked their way into that conversation now. Uh, Julian Champagne, uh, they're big forward is an NBA ready player so it's always going to be tough to kind of handle a guy like that down low especially when they've got several other big bodies and point guards coming at you that's a, it's really a t- tough to handle there uh coming back to back road games too that's no fun they were you know they were in Chicago on Tuesday like you mentioned and then they had to uh go over to New York and then kind of wait there for a couple of days to play the game so it's really not ideal for those players and you also have to remember these are student athletes you know they were f- still trying to get their school work done and everything else like that so that was it was kind of just a tough you were expecting a lot from them there 
Yeah, I mean, this was the toughest loss for Butler all season long as they give up the most points they've been up all season long. So, yeah, we've lost a lot against Villanova. We've lost a lot against Purdue. But this game against St. John's was the biggest deficit and the most points we've given up this season. So, obviously, whatever was working just kind of hit a wall. And so... The players, I think, for St. John's kind of figured us out. And the game that we played against them uh, that was really, really, or when we played against them at Hinkle and we played really well, it did help that the fact that they were getting a little bit injured. Pasha Alexander missed the last few minutes of the game, and he's one of their better guards on their team besides Julian Champagny. Um, but Yeah, and don't forget this is the number one offense in the Big East. You know, they're better than Nova, better than Marquette, all these great teams, you know, we keep talking about. It is St. John's that has the best offense, so it's not that much of a disappointment for them to put up 90. They've been doing it all season to a lot of teams. And so we are supposed to be supposedly known for our defense, but uh, this game, it happens to everybody where just some sort of problems, and we were also dealing with issues with Bryce Enzi and Bo Hodges having some injuries as well, so... Being able to have some guys healthy on our side as well didn't really help. So um, just being able to try and focus and get our minds ready for the next game, which could have been, should have been, would have been the game of the year. Could have had a potential storm the Hinkle moment, but that turned into a one-point loss in overtime against Providence, and that is number eight-ranked Providence in the card number eight ranked in the country providence and it's just somehow we just couldn't pull away with the win what went wrong in that game james oh man just so many things went right for us in that game but so many things went wrong the big thing that stands out to me was our second to last possession in regulation chuck harris just slipped and turned the ball over, and then they were able to take it and go down and get a quick score. And that put us from in a position of being up and being able to take care of the ball and then hopefully get late-game free throws. You knock down your free throws, you take the win, we rush the court, we go home. Everybody's happy. Then he slips, loses the ball, and the Providence scores. So that puts us in the hole. And then you know we were still able to get out of it and force overtime, which was great. But that was kind of the big play that really stood out to me was Chuck Harris slipping. Yeah, I mean, this game was also similar to the Marquette game in the point where Butler just came out with guns a-blazing. I mean, this team was almost up 20 points in the first half against Providence. And fans were cheering. Everyone's like, oh, my gosh, is this seriously happening? Are we going to finally have the chance to rush our court or rush the court in a very long time? And there was talks going around between some of the fans and the dogmen. I was one of them, I could say. I could attest to that. And suddenly you could tell that the momentum was beginning to switch right before uh, halftime hit when uh, one of the other guys, Andrew Fonts, came in and hit a three. And so that kind of like kind of shushed up the crowd and then everyone was like kind of feeling it coming. And sure enough, Providence started sneaking their way back and scoring and scoring and scoring and to the point where at one point they were leading in the second half. They came all the way back and were leading. And then Butler had to fight their way back to then winning. And then Providence once again came back, hit a crazy fadeaway three. To then, uh, I think it was AJ Reeves came all the way back, hit back-to-back threes to put them up one, and then we forced it to be uh, 64-64. Butler had the chance, like you said, right before regulation, and just Chuck Harris couldn't be able to come up with that final shot. And then once again in overtime, same story. We were up, Providence fought back, and then we had our chance once again at a final shot. Everyone on their feet, fans cheering, and just could not come up with the shot. So. That has got to be probably the toughest game to swallow all season long. I don't know what to say here. I mean, that game just 
just a rough one. Do you have any anything else to add on this one? Yeah, so I still think there's a lot of great takeaways from this game. I thought we attacked the paint very well. We did a lot of little things like attacking the paint and then dumping it off to somebody else, not always running a four-out, one-in, of just having more guys in the paint uh, to be able to just be ready there to just scoop up balls, get putbacks. I thought we were chasing rebounds very well, although there were a couple offensive rebounds that we uh, probably should have gotten that we didn't get there. But then I would also like to point out, you know, obviously college basketball is – or men's college basketball is done in halves, not quarters. But I still like to break it into, you know, 10-minute chunks because 20 minutes is such a long time for continuous play. And I thought the first 10-minute uh, chunk there was probably the best we had all season because originally I thought it was Marquette where we put up 23 points in the first 10 minutes and, you know – for us, we're barely putting up 23 points in many halves. But in this, you know, we held them. I believe Providence had, what, eight points after the first 10 minutes, if they even had that many. You know, they had to scratch and claw their way just to get 20 to end the first half. There's a lot of great takeaways you can do. Um, uh, you could take from that game. I thought Bo Hodges' defense was just phenomenal on their point guard, Andrew Bynum. And then just everyone else, I thought Chuck Harris, you know, he was sticking with his men the entire time. And then it's just with this Butler defense, they are just so finicky at times. I, I can't p- pick out any one defender and skate, you know, this is our lockdown guy. This is our clamp. You know, he's patrolling our paint. But it's just, you know, when all five guys get together, they play well, they rotate, you know, they help each other. And, you know, the defense goes well. But then, you know, for some reason it just goes sour in the second half. They really destroyed our pick and roll. That, or they destroyed us with pick and rolls. That was probably the biggest thing. We really weren't able to help there. And then when we did kind of try to send weak side help, that's when some of their shooters got going. So then, you know, I mean – Providence is a top 10 team in the country for a reason. And they're a team that, you know, is going to potentially be a top three seed in the national tournament. So there is no shame in, you know, taking them all the way down to overtime. But man, this would have been a really nice one to win. I know. I think if there's one takeaway I have from this one is our guards played very, very well. But there's just something that I've been wanting to say too as well, is that out of all the players that have gotten a chance at shooting the game-winning shot, there's one player who still hasn't even gotten to touch the ball when seconds are ticking down. Yes, Chuck Harris has been a clutch shooter in the past and he's been able to help us through. Yes, Aaron Thompson is our leading guard and he's been able to also carry us through some of the victories. But why hasn't Bo Hodges gotten a shot to t- or a chance to even shoot the ball towards the end, like at the very end of the half? He's been one of our better players, all-around players. He's been able to hit those clutch shots for us all season long and he has still yet to take a game-winning shot, like I said, let alone even touch it. And so I was wondering, like in this game, we had two opportunities to win this game before it was sent to even over or he was even sent to overtime and then to even win the game just outright in overtime and Bo Hodges was just nowhere to be found along with even I want to say this as well put his name in this thing Seamus Lukosius he hit the game winning shot against DePaul he wasn't even on the court the entirety of overtime I'm like so I'm wondering where where were these guys and I was wondering what happened why weren't they on the court they were certainly healthy but like I'm just curious like what was going on I meant to mention that to you, Ethan, because Seamus Lukosius was pulled in the game um, in that first half, you know, when everything was going well for us, seemingly after, I forget who it was, somebody hit a big shot, and Seamus was actually pulled from the game right after that, and Laval was getting into him on the sidelines, and it's like, yo, we're up by, by 15 points, we just hit a big three-pointer, like, why is he so mad at Seamus? And then from that point on, I believe Seamus only played, you know, maybe five minutes that entire rest of the first half, the second half, and overtime. That is, I I believe what Laval was getting at was that he missed a box out on the defensive end in the previous possession that led to an offensive rebound that got a a putback for them that gave Providence 10 points instead of 8 after they had struggled to score for several minutes straight. So that was definitely a big thing, but... 
at the same time, you got to let these young kids grow and make mistakes. And you can't have these guys fearing that they make one mistake, they miss one box out, and next thing they know they're going to come out of the game and they're not going to be trusted to take big shots or to really contribute in overtime. We've talked about it all season long, how the biggest thing for Seamoth Lukosius was his confidence. He looked like the most confident player in the planet on the in the DePaul game. And, you know, we, we mentioned it every single podcast leading up to it. We talked about his progression with his confidence. And I'm just worried that doing something like that might wreck all the progress that he's making. I'm just worried about confidence. And confidence, as we know, is key in this game. And you speak of Chuck Harris. There is one picture I think any everybody and this entire, like, uh, at least on the campus, needs to see uh, of Chuck Harris after that game. There was a picture that was tweeted out by David Woods uh, of the Indy Store, or you can check it just out online. That picture was a picture of Chuck Harris in pretty much tears after that game. Uh, with, with I believe it was Jair Bolden and Aaron Thompson on either side of him trying to consult him after showing that pretty much Chuck Harris left his heart on the court and he really wanted that win. And that's probably the toughest loss he's ever had to have his entire career because he was that close to helping his team be able to pull off one of the biggest upsets of the season, let alone I mean, like tardy of college basketball so far that season as an unranked team being able to knock off the eighth best team in the country. So it just sucks to be able to see your players and to, especially in that emotion showing that how they want to win that bad. But then again, it shows that they do care about this season. If you people who keep saying, oh, these guys aren't really showing much heart, they're not playing, they are playing their hearts out. And Chuck Harris absolutely showed it right there. And so, you know what that picture reminded me of? What? Joe Burrow in his uh, year before he won the college national championship when he got eliminated from his bowl game. And then he sat there on the field staring at the other team celebrating. Hopefully it'll go just as well for us <laughs> next year. You know, Chuck Harris will be celebrating something pretty sweet. Uh, but, yeah, it's good. I mean, it is good to see that these guys care so much, you know, and they, they do pour their heart out. And as fans, you know, I feel like we put our hearts in. So when you feel like they, the players are giving you their hearts back, I mean, win or lose, that's really all you can ask for from anybody. And then, you know, so you got to respect that. Yeah, and one more point to bring up. I know a lot of people have been kind of hard on Jaden Taylor because he did have that wide open three uh, with, what, maybe seven seconds left on the clock in overtime. That would have put us up to... You absolutely have to take that shot. Sure, he has other options. Maybe you take one dribble, go for a pull-up. Then what if somebody comes over and cuts helps on you, and then you don't get a shot off? You could try going all the way to the basket, maybe draw a foul. But again, you know, what if they close? You never get a shot off. Maybe you pass it, dump it down to a teammate. Uh, the ball gets deflected. It goes out of bounds. There's just way too many what-ifs. When you have a wide-open shot with nothing but daylight, I mean, there was just nobody around him. You absolutely have to take it. This is 2022. You know, everybody's a better three-point shooter than they are at making layups now anyway. This is a freshman, Jaden Taylor. We know he's perfectly capable of shooting the ball. You, you can't get mad at him for taking that shot, and you really can't get upset with him for not making that shot. It's something I'm sure the next day in practice he took, you know, 100 shots from that exact spot, and he probably hasn't let it lift down in his head, but, you know, everybody else really needs to. I think I, you, I totally forgot to talk about that shot is, I mean, Jane Taylor – has been great all year. And I think that was, I, I give Laval a lot of, like, I, I I get mad at him a lot, but whatever play that they drew right there, being able to get him wide open like that was absolutely beautiful. And if that went down, I think Hinkle would have came crashing down of just craziness if he was able to hit that, but just could not get it to fall. And um, either way, I'm just, that loss is going to be very, very tough pill to swallow. And so, um, but hey, there's still plenty of games left and there's still a chance for Butler to get in because, you know, if Georgetown can get in like they did last year, Butler certainly has got a chance this year. You just got to believe as 
keep that underdog mentality going for the rest of the season. So, but first we got three more games looking forward to the rest of the season as the Big East tournament's coming right around the corner. There's only three games left uh, before they get into the actual tournament starting on March 9th. But before then, uh, they have three games, like I said, against Seton Hall, who's actually receiving votes in the coaches poll. And then they have Marquette, who we just beat at home, is going to be, I think, a little bit more fired up to play us this time. And then we play at home against Villanova to finish the season. So three pretty much respected teams getting re- receiving votes currently right now. Going to be a tough end to the season, right? Yeah, but that's it's been a tough beginning to the season. It's been a tough middle to the season. I wouldn't expect the end to be any other way. You know, uh, the Big East uh, Conference Tournament is coming up in just a couple of weeks. Um, you mentioned it. Maybe we run the table just like Georgetown did. You know, it wouldn't be the most impossible thing in the world. So, you know, these games will be great tune-up games for that. Uh, we're 6-11 and right now. So, you know, if you win three games, that puts you at 9-11 to end the season. I mean, you know, you win one conference game out of that. You know, maybe we're still on the bubble, too. It's not that uh, far-fetched. You know, it kind of seems that way. But again, the Big East is so tough this year. The Big East is going to get more t- uh, teams in the national tournament than any other conference outside of probably the SEC this year. So, you know, you got to just keep playing hard in these next few games and anything can happen. Um, I'm certainly going to be cheering them on. Is I think the game to look forward to, obviously, is that game against Marquette. But the main one, Villanova at home. Mark your calendars because that's going to be a fun one. I mean... Don't leave for spring break too soon. I know everybody's got plans. Everybody wants to hit the beach. They want to get out of here. The cold weather is still coming back. But I promise you, it'll be worth it just to stay for that one extra day. I know, because guess what happened last year? Everyone's like, oh, Villanova's this unstoppable team. What did we do? We came and we beat them. And we've got the pretty much the same squad as we do last year, or as we, we did last year. Um, and so they know how to play and they know how to beat Villanova. They've got the experience doing that and they have the experience beating Jay Wright. And so... You never know. Hinkle Magic might strike again. So, But that is probably going to do it here for our men's basketball section. A little bit longer here today, but we had some really, really big games we needed to talk about. So, But now we're moving on to our final segment. Going to be joined uh, by our special guest, actually, to help us preview the men's baseball team here at Butler. Uh, and that is going to be Andrew Mouth. So now we're going to be jumping right into that one. Alrighty, and now we're here for our final segment of our podcast here today. And today we're going to be talking about the Butler baseball team, which is the first time we're going to be doing that all season long because guess what? They are back and we're going to be getting to preview them. And today I'm actually going to be joined by a special guest here today to talk about the baseball team. I'm going to be joined by the Butler Collegians beat writer here with Andrew Mild. Andrew, how's it going? Great to have you on. Well, it's great to be considered a special guest, so I'm really excited to be on now. You really just uh, earned my respect with one phrase. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, you when you uh, when you were, I guess, our study the baseball team a little bit more than everybody else, it's always great to have somebody with a little bit more experience cover them. And since you are a humongous baseball guy, I knew knew you'd love to come and talk on them or talk about them. So speaking of talk about the team, we'll just jump right into it here and starting off with Looking at the team uh, just overall so far, this Butler baseball team headed this season is a lot of new faces coming into this as they have a lot of transfers, a lot of new people coming into this. But we'll start with the last looking uh, at last season, uh, a little bit because of COVID. It was kind of a shortened, a little, a little bit more of a wacky season, but the team still finished 14 and 23 and 8 and 13 in conference play. Not the greatest. They had a little bit more higher hopes, but hopefully with all these new faces coming to the team, I think there might be a little bit more hope. So 
Well, uh, I'll start off with a question for you. So with all these new names and faces and the infield, outfield, what are, what are the hopes here for this team this year? Well, the hopes really is that they want to seal more bases this year and then lower down the ERA. When you have an ERA above a six as a team, you're not going to win too many ball games. And they committed a lot of errors. They were the worst feeling percentage in the Big East last year, too. So there was a lot of things to address. So they definitely went out and got the players they thought they fit better. And one of the players they got was Ryan O'Halloran. And he's a phenomenal Canadian ball player. He went, he batted 375 this weekend against Murray State, stole a base, and he fueled the ball really well. So that's always a good start. Uh, the pitching, I guess it's the first weekend, so we can't panic too soon. There's still a bunch of games to be played. Um, but there's a lot of negatives from this weekend series, but a lot of positives to come from too. All right. You mentioned pitching. So I was wondering. Uh, we have a lot of new faces. Are there any since? Because I mean, last season we had our our big guy Connor Schultz was um, the star of the show. Hopefully, going to be Biggie's Player of the Year, at least Biggie's Pitcher of the Year. Didn't really work out so well, as you probably saw with a two and five record and a six point two two ERA. Not the greatest yeah. uh, end of, or ending of him. And now he's graduated. So now we're going to be looking for a new face of the team. Who do you think that's going to be on the team this year? Well, I thought it was going to be Nick Eaton going into the year, but he's out right now. But I will say that opening day, Butler started Corey Bosecker, who's a left-handed pitcher, and he was phenomenal. He did a great job. He worked his way into the sixth inning, struck out six, and only allowed one earned run. Unfortunately, he was handed the no decision. But because of his efforts against Murray State, he did win the honor roll for Biggie's Player of the Week. So that's a good start for Bosecker, and hopefully that – when Butler goes to Jackson State this weekend, he can set the tempo again and that the pitchers can follow him and that will get the pitching staff going again. All right, now we'll jump into the infield um, and looking at some of the new faces also there as well. Uh, Coach Shra, or Shrey excuse me, um, has gone out and got a few more pieces to add to this team as they have, I think, three returning players in Lucas uh, Galdoni, A.J. Pointer, and Billy Wirch. But they also added uh, Travis Holt, who's a transfer, um, and then a few other guys like Jalen Naughton and Ryan O'Hathorn, like you mentioned. Um, so kind of building up this team in the infield. So are they going to be trying? I, obviously, I think defensively is the big strategy, but is there anything else that they're going to be looking to try and improve on? Well, again, it's it's going to be cutting down base runners. They also have a lot of, lot of stolen bases, and they're going to steal a lot of bases. And you mentioned the name Travis Holt. I was really impressed with him this weekend. He got on base. Uh, he had OBP of 539 to open up this weekend series, and he's batting leadoff. And that allows Gargano, who led the team in home runs last year, to move to the three-hole. And when you have to replace a guy that was so good at the leadoff spot, it can be kind of tough. But I thought Travis Holt put up some great ABs, fouled off some pitches, and allowed his team to see what this guy has early on and allow them to settle in. Uh, He also hit the ball really well. He stole a couple of bases. So hopefully Travis Holt can continue to build off what he did against the Racers and continue to set the table for the meat of the order for Butler that finally exploded in that final game by scoring 12 runs. Unfortunately, the other team scored more. Yeah, uh, I know this team is, unfortunately, couldn't end up with the win there. But I know uh, the players, especially here in the infield, and now looking at the outfield as well, this team has the potential to be able to hit the ball. And they are, when when they make contact, this is a big hitting team, and they'll be able to launch it 
out. And they're basically a home run hitting team, and they rely a lot on the big hits. And so, um, especially with guys like James Gargano, Nick Ortega, at least in the outfield here as well, are there any more big hitters to expect to maybe continue to maybe hit it out of the park, maybe out of Bulldog Park this year? Well, you, you already listed the two good ones, uh, but I do want to give a shout out to Billy Wirch who hit a pinch hit grand slam on Sunday. So he comes off the bench, ice cold, and the first pitch, first pitch he sees, he decides, oh, that's the best one I'm going to get, puts over the wall for four runs. And that, I guess that could get the Bulldogs going because they play Jackson State. Uh, and it's, it's hard when you lose a player like Dan Harwood. You looked at his numbers. He had the best average on the team. He tied Gargano in home runs with seven apiece. And you're right, this is a team – that the OBP was a little low. They didn't strike out a whole lot, but their slugging percentage was in the top three in the Big East last year. So when they do connect with the baseball, good luck <laughs> to all the houses across the street from Bulldog Park. Oh, yeah. We, all those cars that are driving behind on the, on the street are going to have to start watching out this year. I think this team's going to be getting to load up for a big year maybe here in the Big East. Although they're currently ranked sixth in the Big East coaches poll. So... Looking at the Big East as a whole, is there is that? Do you think that's pretty low for this team? Do you think they can maybe trying to surprise a few people and head into it as a sleeper team this year? Here's what I'll say about this team: is that uh, Baseball America wrote that this is going to. It was a tough season last year, as we you and I already covered with the fourteen twenty three record, but they have a lot of new faces, and with new faces, it the whole page is blank because those guys don't have a really a career in D one yet. So they honestly could write their own chapter and be that dark horse because they have the capabilities of it. Because I think they're such a hard team to predict because you don't know what these guys are going to do once they move up from maybe like a, a Juco to a D1 within a year. So we'll definitely see it. The The top of the Big East is really tough with UConn and Creighton is also really tough. Creighton, they were all over the place when it came to the preseason poll and it, the scariest part about UConn is they're not even having their best player. That's so, yeah. This they have a they had a pitcher that was in the Cape Cod League hitting like 102, and I'm not exaggerating. He's ranked 32nd on the MLB's draft class going into the year, and he hit 13 home runs for him. So they're losing production not just with hitting but with pitching, and they're still a very good team. They played Southern Florida this weekend, and they. Took two out of three, and they they took the pitcher of the week and the player of the week already. Wow! So they this looks like the Big East is a little bit more uh, top heavy, I think, this year. Yeah. Um, but still, hey, you never know. We're we're on, we're underdogs. You can maybe pull off a game or two <laughs> against them. And speaking of just like looking ahead at the season as a whole, is there any game that you're looking forward to this season, especially with all these now big teams in the Big East? Uh, well, I'll I'll do two of them for you. First one is on March second. Uh, Manchester University up in Fort Wayne's coming down to play. That is my old school. Played on the team for three years. A little biased there, not <laughs> a little bias, a little bias. I uh, a lot of friends on the team, of course. Spent a lot of time with those guys, so I'm excited to see them come play against Butler. Uh, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like when you see your old team come in, and it's like when Johnny Damon went from the Red Sox to the Yankees. You couldn't wait for him to come in. Um, other than that, I would. I'm really excited to see Xavier. Uh, I watched Xavier a couple of times. They played Alabama this weekend, and then they played against Louisville last night. Or Louisville, sorry. I know you have to say it a certain way or they don't like it. Um, but they played some really good ball. They are a tough, resilient team. But 
they find a, they found, they have found a way to lose in every game. They're own four, but I bet you their run differential is not even in double digits yet. Wow. They were up four to one on Bama Friday, lost in the bottom of the ninth on a walk off. They played the Cardinals last night, gave up six runs in the seventh and lost. So I think they have a tough team because those are two very good programs and very good conferences. Because when you think of college baseball, you think SEC, and then you think of the ACC. And they are staying up there with them. So I think when Xavier comes to town, Butler's going to have their hands full. But, you know, with the rivalry and everything, it's going to be a fun game. Hey, it's going to be in inside Bulldog Park, I think, on May 6th is the start of the series. So a little while until that one, but yeah. I cannot wait until they start to come to town. And I think we might still be on campus around then. So yeah, is that finals week? I think that might be finals yeah. week. So I might get to stick around after I'm done with my finish your final year. Relax, go to Bulldog Park, get a hot dog, and just enjoy the show. Exactly, exactly. That's that's how I would do it. Honestly, <laughs> that's the that's the baseball spirit right there. If yeah, you want to go with that. Get getting with your Butler baseball team. Um, but yeah, so then uh, I got another fun question to, for you as well. Shoot uh, it. So jerseys this year that they got to as well. That's always uh, a big big part of. Okay, you got to look good. You got to play good. Um, right. And this year they got some pretty cool gray pinstripes. So I'm wondering, is what are your thoughts on those jerseys? Do you think they fit us or fit fit the Bulldogs this, pretty well this year? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When the, I think the first time they wore that was Saturday against Murray State. And good friend Aaron Baroka started that game on the bump and he was wearing them. I'm like, oof, those are, those are nice. Those are clean uniforms. And, you know, how I view my uniforms is in the old saying of do it simple, stupid. And they're very just simple uniforms. They're gray with the navy blue pinstripes. They're, they are sick jerseys. Uh, and you also hit the nail on the head. If you look good, you play good because uh, you get that confidence. Next thing you know, you've hit three balls in the gap. Your jersey's all dirty, but you're loving it. You're loving life at that point. Absolutely. I mean, those gray pinstripes, I don't, you, don't, you don't see them too often. They're a unique jersey, and I think those are brand new this year for the team as well. And I think – might help motivate them to try and be able to get, hit some more dingers, like you were saying. So, um, so then I got one final question for you. So we're going to look at the series that's going to be coming up on Friday, February twenty fifth against Jack and State. I know we mentioned it a little bit, kind of hinted at it, but we got a big, big series this week. Uh, obviously, the Bulldogs are still looking for their first win. So, what should the Bulldogs do, and what should we expect from Butler this week, and as they have to travel to Jackson State? Uh, the first thing before I jump into that, it's really cool that Butler is playing against the HBCU team this this week. And I'm pretty sure that the great Walter Payton went to Jackson State. You may have to fact check me there. I th- know I'm right, but I know he, I th- I think he did. It, am I right? Oh, yes, you are yes. correct. <laughs> yes. I know, I know that's football, but I had to give a shout out to the GOAT in Walter Payton. Sweetness, baby. A sweetness, exactly. Uh, but for the series... It's it's simple. If Butler can pitch a lot better than what they did against Murray State, they will have no problem. When you give up 45 earned runs in 24 innings, that's just a recipe for disaster. And, I mean, here's some other stats to go with. That's a 16.88 ERA, by the way, so you don't have to punch it into your ERA calculator. They also allowed 24 walks. 52 hits and had a whip of 3.17, which tells us they allow more than three base runners an inning, which there's only three bases before they score. So if they can go out and throw more strikes and get ahead in the count and force these hitters to reach out and put the ball in play and weak contact, they're going to do just fine. Offensively, keep working the balls in the gap, keep being aggressive on the base paths, 
force errors and pressure. I mean, Butler numerous times put themselves in golden opportunities because they were able to run the bases so much better. And on the game Friday, which I thought they should have won six to four game because they went two for 14 with runners in scoring position, which tells me like, hey, they had the opportunities, but it's early in the year and they have to deal with that pressure. And when you don't get to play outside consistently like they do in Kentucky, Florida, California, it's an adjustment for sure. And you can really see it in some of the at-bats. Some guys look good, and then they look bad in the next A-B. But once they start getting more at-bats and facing pitchers consistently, they're going to do just fine. And they really showed out in that last game. So I'll, I'll give you three three keys. Right. Pitch. Pitch better, throw strikes, continue to slug, and put pressure on the base pass. And then I guess I'll put a fourth point on there. And that's hit with runners in scoring position, which you look at the Atlanta Braves. That's all they did. It wasn't like they had the best postseason, but they just hit the ball at the right time. Yep. And so, Hey, just gotta be able to keep it, keep it going and keep pushing. And Hey, first series opening series is just one series out of the many, many games they're going to be playing this season. Oh, yeah. So we got obviously the jet, the series here this weekend against Jackson State Prairie View on Saturday, and then another double, or obviously the doubleheader on Saturday as well. We get to play Jackson State again, so three games to look forward to this week, and um, we're going to be going cheering our Bulldogs on. Hopefully, we can get our first win of the season. So, anything else you want to add before we go? Yeah, can the weather hold out uh, on Wednesday, March second? That's when Manchester's supposed to be here. Uh, I was confident yesterday. It was beautiful. And then today it's it's raining and my jacket was a, a different blue than when I put it on. Uh, so I had also for the Bulldogs, I think it's going to be a fun season. I think people just need to jump on. And, you know, there's going to be bad moments. There's going to be good moments. But let's just be happy there's baseball again. You know, last year they didn't get to travel a whole lot and play teams outside of the Big East. And then two years ago we had no baseball at all. Uh, and there's no there's no spring training going on. Enjoy college baseball. Go on ESPN. Yeah, go on ESPN. Find a game and just enjoy the game of baseball because it's it's going to be beautiful soon. And for me, and I don't know about you, Ethan, but when I once I see baseball, the the cold doesn't feel so much bad anymore because I know what's coming after that. Yep. Because it's all, it's only a little bit closer to summer, so just got to start warming up. But alrighty, so that's going to do it here for our baseball section. Once again, thank you, Andrew, for joining me today and. So covering the baseball team, I have to bring you on a little bit later in the season and cover them, see where they're at. Um, but so, yeah, that'll, that'll do it. Now we're going to be headed to our conclusion part of the podcast. All righty. So before we go, we've got a few shout outs to so many other athletes across Butler Athletics not yet mentioned in this episode. First off, shout out to the Butler men's and women's tennis teams for pulling off big wins this weekend. The men's team knocked off in-state rivals Indiana University 4-2, while the women beat Western Michigan 6-1. Outstanding job, Bulldogs. Also, shout-out to the Butler women's swim team, who is getting set for the 2022 Big East Swimming and Diving Championships beginning from Wednesday to Saturday afternoon at the Nassau County Aquatic Center. Good luck, Bulldogs. And lastly, shout-out to the Butler University cheer and dance team, as they just announced that they will be going to nationals in 2023. Well, it is only a year away. I cannot wait to see the fellow dogs compete at a collegiate level. So that's going to do it here for our eighth episode of the Butler Sports FA podcast. I want to thank Jenkins and James, as well as Andrew, for hopping on with me to create such a fantastic episode. I hope everyone is as ready as I am for spring break, as I look forward to being back here next week for more Butler Sports content. For the Butler Collegian, I'm Ethan Pollock. Go dogs! Go dogs!